Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Superhero Ethics Podcast. My name is Matthew Westfox, and we're really excited. This week, we have not only Paul as our normal guest host, um, but also a special guest, uh, our friend Logan, who's going to be talking to us today. So, Logan, why don't you say hello? Hi, everyone. How are you? Um, my name is Logan Grendel. I am a uh, writer and a uh, dog man, I guess is my most official title, <laughs> but um also wrote a graphic novel um, a while back, actually 10 years ago, called Harlequin's Song, uh, which is about a post-apocalyptic New York City. Um, and it's certainly coming to bear that it looks like we're going to be facing a world <laughs> a little more similar to that sooner I, than we I, thought we might. I was going to say, might. post-apocalyptic stuff, that sounds very escapist right now, totally different from anything else we're <laughs> yeah, Right, with. right. Um, <laughs> also, I'd say wrote and photographed with a fantastic cast, by the way. Yes. Ah, that's Yes, um, yes. Do we have any members of that cast on, on our our screen today who want to also say hello? On, on our on our call, yes, our call, or yeah, sorry. our cast. I don't know. What, I'm, what I'm do you dreaming call? of the future when this is all in video. Oh, very good, very good. There, I mean, if we have webcams, maybe it already is, but just not only on the NSA's video, right? <laughs> anyway, Paul, say hello, please. Hi. See, your mind control didn't work on either of us. There you go. There you go. It's uh, so normal. it's myself, Paul, and Logan. Um, so yeah, Logan, want to uh, want to start just by giving you a chance to uh, introduce yourself a little bit more. Talk about what what got you really loving comics and and what made you uh, to actually make one. Yeah, so I've been a, a fan of comics my entire life. Um, you know, they tell a lot of stories in a way that is a little bit where reality is pushed forward uh, into more like the realm of imagination, but it's obviously still. You know, it all comes out of what we really live, and I mm-hmm. think being able to take stories further than reality just highlights reality a little bit more. It's one of the reasons that I actually enjoy, um, you know, people like Oliver Stone, who, you know, as you say, they, you know, they say they overdo things, but really what they're doing is they're kind of just making it so that you can't miss it, uh, which I think a lot of people do when you make it more subtle. And that's one of the things that I love about comics um, is that, you know, you can have a hero that has these abilities which are supernatural or preternatural but, uh, you know, it just ties into something that's very deep within the human psyche. And that's, I think, one of the reasons that there are different uh, superheroes that resonate with different individuals is because, you know, it's an ability or a fear or something that you know, they take and they highlight and they, they amplify it in a way that, you know, makes it more than real, but kind of just highlights the real. Oh, um, for sure. My my mother, know, she was the one who first introduced me to Star Trek and she she loved the original series. And one thing she always said she loved about Star Trek, which I don't think of as a comic book, but I think does the same kind of thing, is that it it would take a situation in our real world and then create an alien world that changed it enough to make us think about the real world in a new way. You know, and I think exactly. you're right, comic books kind of do something very similar. Yeah, and uh, in my own graphic novel, it was basically um, – I very literally overlaid fantasy on a, a perceived reality. I had a, a series of dreams which uh, – kind of led to uh, I sort of weirdly predicted the financial collapse of 2008 and <laughs> but I sort of added to that uh you know a near human extinction because of uh virus and because of a lot of other things that were going on some of the uh, I added biblical predictions and uh, just other fears in the mass mind and um you know I, well I the financial collapse did happen but we just kind of kicked the can down the road right right uh another However many years I'm gonna. Uh, <laughs> I think but, eight years. I think we can about on the road eight years. <laughs> that's, that's a good, yeah, it's true. Um, and what I did was I took my um, you know, the heroes are people that I knew, 
And so instead of making up uh, entirely heroes out of thin air, I took people that I knew who were sort of people who might be on my apocalypse team, as it were, and I <laughs> gave them superpowers which came from their real personalities. And the the mechanism by which people acquired these superpowers was that they reached their absolute limit and mm. it just flips a switch. Uh, and, you know, it takes their whatever their ability is from from normal to superhuman. Right. And I, I, I think there's something really beautiful in that, that idea of, you know, that in in a person's that like worst moment is when their best can come out. Um, and certainly I think that's, that's something that I'm, I'm sort of hoping we're seeing a little more, more of in the current world. Um, yeah, let's do that. I, but, I very yeah. much believe we are. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I want to talk more about that and, and, and this idea of dystopias in general, I think is going to be our, our main topic today. Dystopias, uh, specifically V for Vendetta. I know it's one that we all really love and been talking about and, and this idea of what role violence can play in that lethal and non-lethal. Um, and, and even just how those terms can be kind of problematic. But, but first, Logan, I want to give you just a chance to talk about, um, you said you like used, you know, people you knew in it. I, one thing I love about, um, your graphic novel is the way you, it's not just, um, drawings, the way a lot of, or paintings or, uh, that kind of artwork, the way a lot of, <laughs> however they make comics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know the technical term, but obviously what you did with Harlequin's sto- song is a little bit different. Can you talk to a minute about what you did there? Yeah. So uh, before I became a dog man, I was a photographer for a very long time and um, I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. So I figured <laughs> I, you know, I would just take my skill and amplify it. So it was sort of uh, another, like another level of overlaying, rea- you know, fantasy on reality. So I, um, you know, we kind of guerrilla shot it. We took over subway trains and, and found, yeah. you know, streets and off in the cut locations. We didn't really, you know, we didn't get permits or anything. We just right. got people and we did it. And then I spent months uh, you know, I designed a series of actions in Photoshop, which gave it a sort of a comic feel, but left a little bit of the grid of reality on it. And um, that made it able to kind of just throw on the little superpower, you know, the extra special stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and yeah, it was um, it was like a, a marriage of basically everything that I was into at the time. And I'm a big fan of doing things on multiple levels where you have the idea of the thing and then you have the actual way of making the thing and they're both built on the same idea where you have the real and you have the you know the fantastical and it's just bam just smash it all together and and there you go um yeah it was uh very very painstaking and i you know i can't say whether it would have been easier well Uh actually i can't say it would have been easier to draw it because the drawings they will be there when you want them to be there and you don't have to worry about moods and acting ability and you know time yeah that actually directing a cast is a it's whole (laughs) and i mean and the cast in particular you know it's a little a little bit of the cat herding thing (laughs) definitely Uh, working with professionals was you know uh was a an obstacle in and of itself. And yeah, it but... was really cold outside some of the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really was. Well, it was, you know. And I think that's kind of, an, uh, you know, since so much, as, as Paul and I have both said, I think Paul has read a little bit more of the comic books than I have. But for the most part in this podcast, we're talking about movies and TV shows that are based in things that started as comics. Um, and it, so I, 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 I love you, what you're talking about there because yours is obviously a book, but it, it's a book with a cast of live actors. And this, this one, I think it's a wonderful marriage of those two. Um, and yeah, for anyone who, who was listening, definitely check out Harlequin's song. Um, uh, Logan's gonna get a chance to talk at the end about more about it, but you can find it, uh, by looking on Facebook at facebook.com, uh, slash Harlequin song. Definitely something worth checking out. Um, and, and as you mentioned, Logan, it, it's a dystopia. 
Um, and I, I think that's kind of a good place for us all to start is because I think that's going to be our main topic today is dystopias and specifically V for Vendetta. Um, but, but for you guys, what, what is it that, that you love about dystopias? You know, I mean, the world sucks enough as it is. Why do we want to read about or, or see a movie about a place where it's even worse? I hate what? dystopias. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll let you this one. Like, I've had enough to hear with the apocalypse. And like now that, um, you know. I, I love dystopias because um, I'm, a lot of people for years have been calling me kind of a gloom and doom person. And I've been unfollowed on Facebook by lots of people because I just, I talk about a lot of the messed up stuff that's been going on. Like, yeah. you know, the, the things that, you know, the, the no dapple protests, they received mm. such little uh, media coverage. And to me, it's, it's and like, I, I just want to say an, because of how little like media coverage they've, they've gotten, some folks may know not what we're talking about. Dapple is the, the pipeline that they want to build uh, in the Dakotas through Indian, Indian Dakota. land and possibly do real damage to the water supply of an Indian tribe there. So um, just wanted to do that brief intro because Logan, as you said, it's, it's gotten so little coverage. A lot of people don't even know about it. But go on. Dakota Act. Yeah. Um, and, you know, about obviously police violence uh, has been this is on track to be the worst, deadliest year for police violence in in recorded history. And that includes the time before the civil rights movement. Mm. And, you know, things are actually really bad right now. But in ways that a lot of people, especially people with a little bit of money, whether they are conservative or liberal, have just been ignoring. Right. right? So it's easy enough to to say that things could get worse. But for me, the dystopia kind of just, it's like it allows people, like you were saying earlier, Matt, like that taking it to the world of fantasy allows people to actually look at the reality that's in front of them in ways that for some reason, they often seem disinclined. So for me, it's not that I uh, enjoy dystopias as much as I think that they are very, very necessary tools for allowing people who really need to see certain things to see them because it's, if we don't, you know, it's like uh, 1984 and, and mm -hmm. Brave New World, like, you know, you could call them dystopian fantasy or you could say that they were just a little bit off in their predictions. Because if you combine those two books, you have the world we currently live in. We are currently being surveilled. We are currently being, you know, medicated beyond all reason. Uh, you know, those two books are, uh, even though they seem to be totally different, it actually is a, the world that we live in right now. And if you were to say that to someone, they would think that you might be, you know, you're being melodramatic, but it, it's very much not melodramatic. And the reason that some people can't see that is because they're, you know, if you're doing pretty well, the world right now is the best world it, it ever has been. And yeah. in many ways, that's true, but mm -hmm. not for very many people in the world, right? Mm -hmm. The people who are even, the, say, the top 30, 40% of human beings are, are doing pretty great, but 60% and below they're in the hurt locker right now and mm -hmm. and you know they're not getting the help they need from those people who are in you know in a better position um so dystopias are really useful and, and i think i think that that's a really good point and I, I think about how you know a lot of my surely a lot of my favorite and i think some of the best dystopias are written when things are already pretty bad at least from the, the perspective of the people writing them and often it's it's not about saying hey even though things are great now they could be worse it's more about saying you know we know that things are really bad, and let's 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 try to make people wake up to how bad they are by by turning the dial up from ten to fifteen. You know, like I think exactly about, like you said, nineteen eighty four, and 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 the other things Orwell wrote as well, Animal Farm. Those were all written either during or immediately after 
you know, the worst that was seen of both fascism and, and Nazism and communism and how each of those books like shows a side of that. And um, V for Vendetta, which we're about to talk about, you know, that's written by a British person at the height of Thatcherism, you know, and he's trying to show mm. about Thatcherism going even deeper. And then the movie yeah. is written um, at the height of the, the Bush administration and, you know, trying to talk about how that could go even deeper. Um, right. I think the – am I right? The first Hunger Games books came out during the Bush years. I'm, I don't remember when the first Hunger Games books came hey, out. I think you're I don't wrong. remember, but that would make sense. Okay. Um, it, it, it may have been under Obama, but certainly when the economic crisis was still really bad. Um, and I know – you know, a lot of a lot of people I've talked to who talk about, you know, when they were young and first read The Hunger Games, that part of what they loved was that it really showed – like it got them to think about the economic problems that were happening and where it could go um, and also just the idea of like violence and, and the way violence is in the media in ways that they hadn't before. Um, right. Yeah, you're not wrong. It actually was at the very end of the Bush administration. It was uh, end of uh, 2008. So Okay. Yeah, so it was kind of uh, written then and, and that's certainly when also all the um, – economic stuff was happening and 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 even there i mean i know that her um uh, from the interviews i've read with the author of the hunger games her her point wasn't as much a political commentary as it was a commentary on you know violence in media um and the way violence is uh made something to enjoy instead of something to be be seen as terrible um right so for sure so um yeah so paul for you though what what do you not like about uh dystopias they're too much like the shitty ass world we live in. <laughs> like, like shit's bad enough. I don't want to see something even worse. You know. Um, I mean, I I definitely agree with like the potential usefulness of showing something that's like, okay, so here's something that's worse than than what we've got, but it's kind of pointing out the things that are already bad. Right. But as much as I agree with that point, I'm gonna uh, play a little devil's advocate here sure. that. Um, like, what if some people see dystopian, um, you know, or like post-apocalyptic stuff and they're like, well, at least it's not that bad, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of have the opposite reaction where they yeah, see like, that's that, quite possible. you know, yeah. that's, a, and, and I mean, I think both things are probably true, right? I'm, there are probably yep. some people who feel that way. And then some people who, who are like, oh shit, that's, that's the world we live in, you know? Right. Right. And yeah, it could get worse. I mean, I don't know what sort of crazy world events might lead to it getting worse. Um. <laughs> I, I mean, no, but I, I think it's an interesting point, especially because it, I, I've seen a version of this being played out just in the last couple of days in a very real way in terms of, I, you know, if, if there's any moment in this world's history where you've come the closest to actually living in a dystopia, it was probably in Nazi Germany. Um, at least that was one of them of many. Um and I've recently heard people saying things like, okay, you know, no matter how bad Trump, you think Trump's going to be, he could never be the Nazis. It could never be Hitler, you know, um, right. which, which I think it's almost a little bit of that same thing you're talking about. Like because we've had that level of dystopia in the real world, there's an inability by some folks to see that what we're dealing with now could could be really bad as well. Yeah, like people are like, oh, well, you know. I mean, you're just being hyperbolic comparing him to Hitler. It's like, well, I'm not comparing him to 1943 Hitler. Right. You know, like we're comparing him to 1933 Hitler when Hitler wasn't Hitler yet. You know, and definitely. And things didn't have to go that way in Germany. That wasn't like, I mean, okay, if you take a fatalistic view, fine. And but like there, there are so many, so many variables. It's not like one 
<laughs> one domino sets the course. Wait, I feel like this is <laughs> relevant to the movie. I feel like um, the, the, but... the, 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 the authors of Legends of Tomorrow might have some arguments with you, but this is why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, those time traveling, that, you know. Anyway, uh, the, the, the point, though, being that, like, at any given point in time, at least starting with the information that we have, right. like there could be a wide range of outcomes. Like when when people look at this election result, which I think we should say this is November 13th, 2016, right? right? right. For anybody listening to this a year from now, it's like, what are they talking about? What happened? <laughs> oh, right. Um, you know, I mean, people gave like the pollsters a lot of flack and by people i mean logan no um but <laughs> a lot of people and i <laughs> i think to to a point it's um it's that's there's a, a lot of valid criticism there but i also think that uh, a bigger point is that people just have a tremendously difficult time understanding uncertainty and basically just because this was the the outcome that we actually got Right. doesn't mean that it was necessarily the only possible outcome or right. that it was the only or that it was the most likely outcome given the sort of the data set that we had available. So we can go back and look at the data and say, oh, so the Huffington Post thought that he had a 1.4% chance of winning. All right, I'm pretty comfortable saying like, well, they had it really, 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 really wrong. You know, right. I mean, then again, sometimes there is something that has a 1% chance of happening and like it happens, Right. you know, but yeah. I mean, at the time, I was like, "Are you get the fuck out of here!" <laughs> 4% chance, you yeah. know. Meanwhile, five thirty eight had like twenty seven percent on election day, which, you know, we can argue is is too low, right? That maybe it was more like fifty fifty, maybe it was more like seventy two twenty seven the other way. But like, what we can't do is look at twenty seven percent and say like, "Oh, they said this wasn't going to happen." No, they didn't. Right. They said there is a very real chance that this is what's going to happen, and out of that twenty seven percent, um more than a third of it, like 10% of the overall possible outcomes was like Trump wins the electoral college, Clinton wins the the popular vote, right. you know, yeah. and like that's a scenario that could happen and like, Oh, it happened. And, and so that kind of discomfort with uncertainty and having trouble understanding, like, like I remember when right after the, the nominations were secured. It was like, Oh, Hillary Clinton has an 80% chance of winning. And people are like, are you kidding? That's like, they're saying she's going to win. And it was like, I think, yeah, maybe that was optimistic because, uh, they weren't taking into account, um, you know, things like the email thing and how people would react to that. Right. But, um, but they weren't saying she was going to win. Like, that's not what 80% means. Right. Like I, I, anybody who's played poker and started with pocket aces and got all in against pocket Kings. Like that's about 80, 20. Right, but I the think, twenty does still happen. Yeah, yeah, you still lose that hand, and you remember the times you do. <laughs> well, and I think there's two things there. One is I think you're right. I mean, there's just such a, a misunderstanding of how probability works, both in terms of this stuff and and in terms of like, well, oh, that that couldn't happen. That dystopia couldn't happen. Right. But also drawing it back to the point Logan you were making at the beginning, to me, I think the point isn't even like, oh, our real world isn't as bad as that dystopia, so we shouldn't think about it. It's that. In the same way that if you think about yourself with a superpower, like you, you take yourself and dial it up to 15, it gives you – thought. the point of that isn't to say, well, since I don't have the superpower, I'm never going to do the thing. It's to then say, OK, well, I don't have that superpower, but, but I still have the, the abilities and powers I have. So, so what can I actually do in my own world? I right. think dystopias do the same thing as it allows us to say if, if this dystopia – if the Hunger Games represents the problems with – like the way we treat each other 
taken to an extreme, what does that actually tell us about still the way we're treating each other now? You know, and like mm. that, that's what I think I really love the dystopia is even if we acknowledge that, like, I don't think we're ever going to get as bad as it is in the Hunger Games or in V for Vendetta. I, I hope not. But even like the point is, we don't. It doesn't have to get that. Bad. If we do, we probably won't all survive to that. Well, point. yeah, no. The guys in the wheelchairs are going first. So goodbye, everybody. Um, um, but but okay, no, we actually that's that's no. Not, haven't you watched The Walking Dead? Oh, There's a lot of people who are going to go before me, probably. But but the point being that like just because yeah. there are things that these dystopian stories can tell us about how bad things could get that should hopefully make us stop and say just the fact that we're could even possibly be on that path now is a good chance to stop now and say how can we change it Mm. yeah one of the reasons that i was so hard on the pollsters is not um though i totally agree with uh, you know the lack of understanding of probability thing it's the reason that i thought the pollsters were nonsensical is because i first of all i'm a black person so i don't underestimate just the possibility of electing a demagogue who is right. talking about racial stuff that this country was built on and the fact that people will either be 100% for it or they will ignore it, right? So there's a lot – and also uh, the 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 secret vote, right? Right, right? The only thing really – not the only thing. I mean let me not be completely reductionist, but one of the main things that the civil rights movement was able to accomplish was it made racism something to be ashamed of. Or yeah. like at least not to say in public, which people think that's just lip service, but I don't because the idea is that kids grow up thinking that it's no longer okay, which is exactly what you need for society to advance. But anyway, right. uh, there's just a lot of things that they weren't looking at. And they also – there's no way to quantify the idea that someone isn't going to tell you the truth, right. especially when you're talking about something like voting for a person who is being reviled by the intelligentsia and by – you know by the elites of either side, both saying this person is unqualified, they're a moron, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Who could, mm-hmm. no one is really going to vote for that guy. Of course not. And then I, I was literally saying to people, just remember Brexit just happened. Yeah. So, you know, when people get in that, in that voting booth and there's nobody watching them, they're going to, they're going to slam that Trump button and they're going to giggle about it internally. And there's a lot of people who will do that. There's, I mean, everyone from the racists to the people who are just like, I can't do any more of the same because I'm already about to starve and people who are just like, well, yeah, let's see what happens. You know, there, you know, everyone from the anarchist to the racist had a, a shot at voting for Trump. And then you also have the fact that half of the people who are eligible to vote didn't even vote because they were that unenthused yeah. by the two people who were put up. So there's a lot of reasons that, you know, and, and as just as a black person in this country, it's already kind of terrifying to walk down the street. Like if I see a group of five cops standing somewhere, my blood pressure spikes, yep. right? And that's now. That's not like – and that's, that's in Obama's America, right? You can't call it Trump America. It's just America. America is a more terrifying place for a lot of people than anyone's willing to acknowledge. Yeah, I think the sort of the, the Trump effect, as I've seen some people call it, is more – like a lot of things, I think it's more of a exacerbation of a pre-existing condition, a uh, problem. Exactly. You know, exactly. it's like it's not like it's creating a new problem. What it's doing is it's taking something that was already a problem and just um, throwing fire, you know, fuel onto that that fire. Um, have Have you seen that in in New York? There was a, apparently some cop outside of Trump Tower wearing. Sun, like I think at night wearing sunglasses and a balaclava, like a face mask. 
Really? Oh, man. Yeah. This yeah, is um, yeah. yeah. And yeah, so then this I'm is something that uh, they're they're pushing forward. Yeah, I'm watching V for Vendetta. And I'm like, this doesn't even look like scary in a like, oh, what if that happened way? Yeah. It's like yeah. that fucking shit today. Like, ah. Uh. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's about to be bad, scared, especially like, if they put. To... If we get Giuliani as as uh, oh, that, AG, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. you're that's you're that's looking that. at you know police are gonna they're gonna be able to hide their identities. They're going to be they're going to be a faceless like monolithic basically yeah. source of terror right. and yeah. it's going to be across the country and that's going to be the law of the land and it already has sort of subtly been the law of the land for you know for black men and black women especially but the fact that it is the fact that it's on the books and that things can go that way and that you know that basically white america didn't do enough to stop that from happening well sorry now you're going to get a taste and yep. Part of me is kind of like, it sucks that you're going to get a taste. But the other part of me is like, I've been protesting for years. We've been in the streets. We've been, I've been boycotting. I've been do. I mean, I've been doing the work, you know, welcome. Thanks. Well, Join the party. And, Let's and, do this. And I think that phrase, uh, let's get a taste is actually so perfect because as we're talking, I'm, and I'm thinking more about some of these dystopian stories that I love. I, I think what happens in a lot of them is the author basically says, let's take what's happening to one small minority and that is horrible, but that the people in power aren't mm. paying attention to, and say, what would actually happen if that happened to a lot more people? You know, like, yeah. like yeah, that. Exactly. You know, I think um, V for Vendetta, the, the the book of which, uh, and I think the movie does this somewhat too. But the, in the book, I know it's a very intentional way of saying, let's take the things that Thatcher is doing to you know the immigrant populations, to to the workers who they're you know in the anti-union busting, and now expand it to everybody else. Um, because I think Logan, you're exactly right. The one of the problems is that the things that people are are that the things that are happening to people like you or to other 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 folks who are experiencing this, just so many people are able to close their eyes to. Um, and exactly. that's that's what I love about these stories. Uh, and I, I want us to dive further into V for Vendetta specifically. But but Paul, I wanted to ask you one thing specifically about your um what, what you're saying about how generally you don't like dystopias. Right. Would it be fair to call Gotham? Are you not not necessarily the show, but like the oh. city of Gotham? A dystopia in that it is definitely a place where like crime and political corruption are a lot worse than the well <laughs> when they were written <laughs> the real world has caught up to gotham in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like do you think in some ways like is the batman story a little bit dystopian yeah and like here's the thing though like you have batman you know yeah like you know batman's there and like the thing about v for vendetta that I love is that you have V and Evie and um, I already forgot the, the cop's name, you know, who like, I prefer dystopian stories where things work out well. Okay. You know? And so when something's a movie or it's, you know, a comic book setting where, um, you know, you kind of know like, yeah, yeah, Batman's got it. Um, you know, comparing that to like, the Hunger Games or um, uh, I don't know the the like the all the Mad Max things or uh-huh. there there are I guess to me what it is is um, I really don't like fiction that feels like it's without hope. I can see mm. that, and I feel mm. like when you have a dystopian story, you kind of have two choices, mm. right? Um, you can either have a dystopian story with hope, where you have likable characters who sometimes end up okay 
or you can have a dystopian story that's basically lacking in hope, um, where either sometimes you have no likable characters, or sometimes you have likable characters and they just all die yeah. or horrible <laughs> things happen. Right. And I, I would use Children of Men as an example that I think perfectly sort of illustrates uh, Logan and my feelings. Like yesterday, Logan, like you were saying that that's one of your favorite movies. Um, yeah, and far. I just couldn't. I was just like, I wish I didn't watch this movie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because every single time you're introduced, I mean, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> right. Spoilers for Children of Men. Every time, like, it's like, oh, I like this character. Nah, <laughs> like <laughs> they die. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and but, they, but the movie does have a happy ending, it, sort of. It does sort it of. Has, it yeah. ends with hope, which is it does end with a, a little is, hope. You know, the reason that like I. It, it for me it all comes out in the end because what that for me what that does is it underlines the fact that it's not going to be easy and there it's not going to have like you know the the classical storybook Hollywood ending where mm. all the good characters live you know what right, I mean right. where it's like it's definitely more likely that you're going to lose some people along the way but you know but you are they are you are going to make it you know like right, in yeah, the yeah. end of in the end of Children of Men it's like humanity is going to make it and that the boat does come you know it's right, not right. just a fairy tale it's like yeah. yes there is hope there and and it's hard fought but you know it's a it possible victory if it didn't that would have been like uh, like <laughs> yeah. oh that would have oh. been <laughs> yeah, then, then we Wait, have oh, then we have man. game of thrones like that's the right. to me game well of- except game of thrones like which i can't watch because i feel so dystopian fantasy i guess yeah. to me like I feel like there's a reasonable chance it actually, I mean, you're going to, you know, you lose a lot of people along the way, but like, I don't know. They, you know, they might pull it out. <laughs> Although some to half the time, I'm just rooting for the white walkers. But, right? <laughs> Seriously. What? And, and uh, so let's inclined. dive, let's yeah. dive in, exactly. let's dive a little deeper into V for Vendetta. Cause I, I, I think um, to me, I'll say just to start and we're going to do huge spoilers for, the movie and the TV show V, for, uh, the movie and the comic book V for Vendetta, um, and I don't know what else we're going to talk about, but I, sh- I should say from the beginning, we're probably going to have big spoilers for the TV show uh, Daredevil because it connects in a mm-hmm. lot of ways around the issue of violence. But I'd say for me, can I, can I just ask a quick question? Sure. Ha- have you guys read the 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 graphic novel for V for Vendetta, the original source material? Not for years. I, so I not did well many years ago, and I, oh, I, okay. I read a lot of comment. Um, I read a lot of commentaries yeah. by people like political scientists about the Thatcher era talking mm-hmm. about it. But so you both actually read, I, I didn't even, I haven't even read it. Um, but so just we're, as we often are, we're talking more about the, um, the movie than the yeah. original source material. Yeah. I think to, I mean, most of the discussion to, to me, it's, it's important to know that it was written under during the time of Thatcher. But I think, yeah, we're right. going to be talking mostly about the movie. Um, but, yeah. but for me, I would say to start out, one of the things that I love most about the movie is that I think it portrays a very – it's sort of an interesting twist on this idea of hope because, you know, by the end of the movie, V has met – V is kind of a Batman figure. And on the one hand, he has, like, saved Evie and he saved some other good people and, and you know, killed the bad guys. And there's the hope that he's created of, um, you know, the new world that he's trying to create, but he's not going to be a part of that new world. Um, right. And I, I'm kind of curious, what, what is your guys' thoughts on – to kind of dive right to the end on, on the way he sets up the new world he's trying to like help them move towards. 
Well, it's a little bit hard to stand behind everything that he does. I mean, he does some pretty monstrous things to Evie. Yep, um, absolutely. But, you know, and some monstrous things in general. But I think that uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say that as a society, we do a terrible job of protecting each other. And one of the reasons is because we completely vilify the notion of violence and make that like that's our, our red. You know, that's when everybody calls it, oh, there's violence. Oh, my goodness. Like, so the idea that if somebody is if you see someone on the street who is assaulting or raping someone, I personally would risk going to jail for assault for getting that person to subduing them for physically subduing them. And I feel great about that fact. Yeah, it's not violence does have a place. Uh, working with dogs, you understand that, like, you know, dogs are way better at being social animals than we are, but it's not, you know, you'll never see a dog doing torture, certainly, right. but when something's going wrong, they'll throw a quick bite and, you know, or they'll, they'll bark really loudly or they'll snarl or they'll do something which is like, no, this is not okay. And you got to respond to this. And the whole idea that, you know, we have to treat all violence as equal is absolute nonsense. The violence done by police against innocent people is nothing it, nothing like uh, the violence of a of a riot you know I, of course I don't condone or support riots but I bloody understand them right. you know what I mean when you get to the point where you have nothing left to do you're gonna do what all there is left to do and that's and and sometimes we have to as you know as people who think of us ourselves as good people we have to allow that space for and, and I think that in the case of uh, a dystopia like V for vendetta, they had reached the point where that was what it took. So yeah. some of the things that he did were necessary. But I think the thing that's interesting about the character is that he's he's bonkers. He's like, <laughs> right. he's, you know, he's a, um, I mean, to take it to like vampire mask. He's he's a Malkavian. He's he nuts. Is. He's a genius. But right. he also is off the deep end. Right. So, sure. um, you know, he's a little bit broken in the brain. And then that, that's what caused some of his missteps. But as I think I, I wish he could have survived, but even he thought that he deserved to not survive, well, um, which I think is also interesting. And, and, yeah, I think you're right. And there's a couple directions I want to go with there. And just the first being, I think, and, and Paul and I, you've talked about this a little before, but we can go deeper. And, and Logan, I'd love to hear your thoughts. It feels like, I mean, there's two different things he's using violence for. One is to like try and help others and to try to stop this bad stuff and to like make the world better both on an individual level, like to literally stop Evie getting raped at one point, but also right. to, you know, to, to take down the people who are harming the whole country, but also because he was fucked over and he wants revenge. I mean, like yes. the, the V yes. for Vendetta, I think is really important as a title. Um, and I think, I, I think you, there's something so interesting to me about the way he's blending the use of violence for these sort of larger societal gains, but also the element of, like people have harmed me and I need to harm them. Yeah. I mean, I guess there is uh, a, <laughs> so the Lord works mysterious ways, right? Like you have to get somebody to the point where they will take action and someone who is hurt people, hurt people, right? That thing that's, it's true. So you do have to have somebody who has experienced some serious stuff, which is one of the reasons that I think that, for example, that, um, you know, the civil rights movement was led by black people, even though like once the message was out there, lots of other people got on board, but it took people who were suffering daily right. to kind of bring the message of, and, and the original civil rights movement, even, you know, both 
Martin Luther King and and Malcolm X at the end of his life, they were both like the goal is actually love and unity, right? But right. we are talking about this because of the pain that we have suffered, and mm-hmm. that's kind of how it happens. You know, the the, the wounded healer is the best educator if yep. they don't if they I mean because you also have you know characters like V who would just become broken and just become villains right the mechanism for creating a hero and a villain are pretty similar it's just the choice that they, that is made by the by the individual right you can have all this awful stuff happen to you and say this will never happen to anyone again or you can say this awful stuff has happened to me and I'm about to give it out to everyone else and so, you know, I think it is maybe necessary to have the, a hero who has suffered a lot because yeah. they have the drive. That's the only thing that's realistic. Well, and I think you're right. That realism to me is so, – I think it's one of the things I love most about this movie because – I mean I'm definitely – I'll admit even when I hear you talking about like the need for violence, part of me bristles because I'm definitely much more on the nonviolent side for the most part. But, Certainly. But I'm, but, I'm some, but I'm somewhat in agreement. Like I definitely see where you're coming from. But 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 especially what I feel is that that idea of like um, being able to really understand where is that drive for violence coming from and and when it and 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 because I think what what scares me the most is when it's it's not it's not self analyzed you know when it's not you're not being able to mm. recognize like is and and this kind of gets to, I think the, the stuff we've talked about with um with Daredevil a lot um to me there is such a difference between violence for defense like you know a person is in danger i am in danger other people are in danger versus violence to hurt or to punish you know and like in daredevil yes. i think one of the things that frustrates me the most is he starts with this wonderful idea of i will not kill and like in the in season two with the punisher he won't kill a person in cold blood even though they're a terrible person but then right. saying i won't kill a person in cold blood is equated with I won't use lethal force as self-defense, and and, and I think that I, I, tell, Logan, tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, or even to defend another person necessarily. Right, exactly, and it, and it seems crazy to me that to conflate those two. It absolutely, is. I yeah. mean, I you know my my the way I put it is, uh, murder neutrality is what I like in my heroes, where mm-hmm. it's the goal is never to kill someone. You're not. You're not trying to, you know, the, the the thing that's fun for you is not killing or hurting people, but you do what needs to be done in the situation to to deal with the the problem that's facing you. Right. Um. And sometimes that's it's gonna, you know, it's gonna have to be to kill someone, and that's not that's not good. We we hope that it never comes to that. You know, that should never be. That's never what we're looking for. But if that is what happens, and what objectively looking at the situation needs to be done. You got to do it and, and, and go about your business and actually not feel particularly bad about the fact that you had to do that thing. Because for me, it's all about objectivity and about responding, you know, responding to the situation in front of you. Right. Well, and I think really key, especially what you said, is that it that it certainly doesn't start from a like wanting to kill the person, because I think that um to me, again, going with Daredevil, one of the most affecting moments of that entire show for me is where he's talking to his priest and, and he, he basically admits that his problem isn't that he thinks that he's going to have to kill and he doesn't want to. It's that he's afraid that he's going to want to kill. You know, he's recognizing right. that even right. in himself, there's a part of him that might enjoy – like there is a sort of visceral – you know, Paul and I talked about this in an earlier episode about, about um, Desperado. There's a visceral thrill we get about the idea of a bad guy being horribly killed. Um, Absolutely. And it can be fun entertainment, 
But I think what Daredevil is saying, and I think you're right, maybe um, uh, V allows himself to enjoy, and that's part of his problem, is that, like, this is a really bad person, so I'm going to enjoy killing them. Right. And I don't think that's necessary. But uh, I also, I'm not as afraid of that idea as as some people are. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's like, you know, taking Taekwondo and, like, you know, learning to to hit people. Like, it's... Hmm. Sometimes it's fun to hit people, you know, <laughs> it's like fun. that's, you know, it's that's and it's not like and that's the kind of thing that people might freak out about. But it's true. You know, we're physical animals where we I mean, we're animals. You know, we are. It, it's all about the circumstance. Right. The yeah. only difference between assault and I don't know, an excellent sexual experience is whether everybody involved is consenting to that situation. Right. So it's not as if. You know, there's no reason to look at violence dogmatically. Uh, I don't think, I don't think ever, right? Yeah. It's it's all about what we're what we're literally facing. I I had an ethics professor, and I, I think this is a pretty common sort of ethics 101 example. But she she loved to use the example of if I say to you that I'm going to take a knife and cut you open, is that a bad thing? And everyone, of course, said, well, of course that is. And she said, well, what if I'm a surgeon taking out a ruptured appendix? <laughs> right. You know? yeah. And it's the idea of that, yeah. like. Any physical ethic, or no, taking out a bullet or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. or even I'm attached. Or to you're like, please kill me. I'm suffering. Yeah, or even like, or it's ritual scarification. The the idea being that like mm-hmm. any any physical act, the idea that any physical act can be either good or bad, absent context, makes no sense. It is the context that that's what's important. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll I'll add uh, pretty much agreeing with with Logan's point where I, I don't particularly care whether or not the um i guess hero or protagonist or whatever in in this case does enjoy what they're doing like when dexter kills like a pedophile Uh like i'm not like oh no but he's enjoying it you know or when he kills someone who's killed you know, who's a serial killer. I'm not like, oh, it sucked. It's terrible that he likes this. Like, I don't know. I know people who have this physical kind of like reaction. I don't know. Maybe I would be a serial killer in another <laughs> life. I might write some serial killer fiction, whatever. But like, <laughs> you know, but it's like if he kills someone who I think the world would be a better place without, like, okay. Like there's other ways, but he lives in a world where apparently they've beaten the justice system, you know? Well, he's, right. he, here's the thing. And I actually think Duxter – explores this in some good ways to me it's not that i think that just on its face there's a problem if the person enjoys it right i think the problem is if the person is also deciding when is killing necessary the fact that they enjoy killing and actually dexter's case wants to kill yeah i think the danger is that sometimes that means they're going to be a little bit over eager to decide that someone needs to be killed oh uh, yeah absolutely that's, that's a good point and maybe maybe that happens once or twice in this show yeah i mean dexter I think yeah that... i mean spoiler alert it does yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you know where he's like oh well i'm not a hundred percent but like 99 percent, he's like yeah i'm gonna kill this guy yeah. oh that wasn't the guy oh my bad and then he like kind of like feels bad about it but he doesn't really feel bad about it you know I, I mean, I'm trying to imagine. I don't it's know like, what yeah, this would look like, error. but like some kind of a, a show about a Dexter type person, where you basically have two people on a team, or maybe, or maybe it's a couple. Like, there's a couple of people oh. who are like the people who hate the fact that this is necessary, 
but that they sort of coldly assemble all the evidence and they say, all right, we hate that we have to do this, but Dexter, here's the guy. He's the pedophile. You should go kill him. And then Dexter's like, awesome, let's go. Like that I could be <laughs> right. a lot more okay with. You know, it's just – it's that idea of that the person killing is also – if they're enjoying it and they're also deciding. That's Right. So you have a judge yeah. and an executioner are two separate people basically. Right. That's the reason that I would never support the death penalty in pretty mm. much any society that has ever been created yep. uh, is because you can't trust the system which has, you know, which is, has made the judgment. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's not about – I'm just agreeing with you guys on that one. Yeah. yeah. yeah totally. I, I also just wanted to throw in something on the like hitting someone and it feeling good. Like when we like wear chest guards and we kick each other in the chest guards and like we wear headgear or we don't and we kick each other in the head and like, you know, it's not like causing an injury. It's just like bat, 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 you know, it's like, yeah. like, or even when maybe someone's trying to punch me and then I'm trying to kick them and they punch me in the shin and break their hand. Like maybe there's a little bit of like, a <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I can even give an you example. Know that one, right? I can give an example. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, go ahead. I have like a I ha, I'm going somewhere with this. Sure. Um, there's there is like a there's there's a satisfying feeling there, you know. Oh yeah. Particularly like if you hit someone with the top of your foot, which actually doesn't cause that much pain or whatever, but it makes this really big sound. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's like a like yeah, you know. But um, there there was this guy uh, who who went to the Taekwondo school that I went to and. We were both black belts, and he had at one point um, followed this woman home, this student who was a you know a white belt, a new student, and she was like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, can I help you get home? And she's like, no, no, I'm good, thanks. And he's like, well, you know, let me help you. And and so he basically just like stalked her home, right? And then she went home, and there nothing happened, but like it was like super creep, you know, so like, yeah. and so. And and the way he talked to a lot of people, it was it was just really he was he was really creepy in that way. Um, and a lot of the women like really felt um, like threatened by him, and understandably so. Um, and then he'd done one or two things that like really bothered me on a like as a teacher sort of thing. Uh huh. And then he'd also been in some car accident with a friend who he then apparently left out in the street or in the car or whatever. And then the, you know, emergency people came and got him. And the guy was like in a coma for like six months. Um, and finally I think was okay, but I don't know. And that guy was also a student who, who I knew. Um, and so, you know, everybody kind of like wanted to get him, you know? So one day on, on a test, um, you know, I was, I was fighting him and I was just like, I'm just going to hit him so hard, you know? And, um, he threw this kind of like weak little bullshit back kick that doesn't do anything. So I just kind of slid around it and just turning kicked and like rear leg kick just right to the face. <laughs> uh -huh. And he just like doubled over and there's just like blood, you know? And there, like the immediate feeling of like, the like just the technique of it was like like that was like this like perfect achievement of like oh man you know right. like i finally like i really got to just like unload on someone like right in the face with my foot like <laughs> and, yeah i know that sounded really dirty um but taekwondo but then, we're like, talking taekwondo 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 
Um, but then right after that, there was this, I just had this feeling of like empathy and like, what have I done? You know? And, and it felt horrible to like really hurt someone that much. Like, like he was basically like knocked out on his feet, you know? And, and like, there was this really weird couple of emotions of like, yeah, I did that, you know? (laughs) And like, like screw that guy. But then also like, just this like horror. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I imagine a lot of people feel something like that, like some that, you know, sometimes maybe both of those things are there when, you know, I mean, th- there is something that is I healthy. Think... I would hope that both of those things would be there. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I mean, because I, I do think that it's very natural to have this sort of um, desire for vengeance and that there is something that can be very satisfying about violence against people who you think have wronged other people. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and but then there's also something that's like that's still a person you know, and actually physically hurting that person also also feels bad. Well, so. there's two things that brings up for me. One is that as you're telling that story, I mean, I, I'm not a martial artist. Uh, I, I don't have any kind of that physical ability. But I've seen a version of this happen a lot online, frankly, which is like when I when I see someone else and even when I've done this a couple of times, post a really scathing, insulting response to someone we disagree with online. You know, like there Mm. is that moment of that kind of like I've just developed, I've just done a perfect intellectual, you know, back kick, you know, like I have torn that person down and it feels great. And like, you know, we share those memes on Facebook and on Twitter and all, you know, about like, look at Samantha B, take this person down. And and it's satisfying and it's visceral. Right, right. Yeah. But it's that same idea of like, you know, when it is about just like humiliating someone else, we, we I don't think it is by any means the same, but I think there's the same kind of thought process on both sides. But but the other larger point is, and I think this really feeds into both dystopians, but also the problem in our real world is, like as I'm hearing that story from you, Paul, what what I'm hearing is the the, the biggest problem there is that you are feeling the reason why it feels good for you to do that is because the system isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing, you know? Mm. Like, yeah. if I feel, Logan, I think you, you you said before, like, if you were walking down the street and you saw someone being attacked, like, you'd be willing to, like, jump in and, and, and risk your body to stop it and to use your body to stop it. And I, I think that, that that's commendable. And I think that in that same way, you might feel satisfied if you wound up hurting that person who was doing the bad thing. But, but a part of what's underlying yep. all of that is <laughs> we're supposed to have a, sort of an official system of cops, sort of justice that does it for us that that isn't there, you know? And I think this is I think it's what Daredevil wrestles with all the time. It's what Batman wrestles with all the time is I'm the world isn't supposed to need someone like me to do this. We're supposed to have a system in well, place. And the thing I actually addition- don't think I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, okay. me too. Well I want to hear what I, you're saying. But, I- but yeah, my only point being that kind of like in these stories, like what we have is like what happens when that system isn't there. But no, no, tell me where you disagree. Well, my disagreement comes from the fact that, you know, so the way that the modern policing model is a direct descendant of slave patrols. There has never been uh, unless you're talking about a military occupation or something like that or where you are um, you know, looking out over a, a recently subjugated community. The idea back in the day was, you know, you have a sheriff, right? Who is basically, that would be the person who knew how to fight the best. They had a good arsenal and they, they had jail, right? But they would not be just 
walking around looking for crime. And right. most of the time, people would be like, you know, for me, the Second Amendment is about the alien, not the alien, the, the very deeply human and inalienable right to protect oneself from a threat, right? right? So if people, you know, were doing a better job of protecting each other, there would be no need for policing because you would, could just be like, help if you were a person yeah. who couldn't defend yourself yeah. and people in your community would be like, what's going on? Let's do this, right? So the power has been taken away from people to defend each other in some ways by the idea of policing, especially since, you know, like I said, you if you step in, you're afraid that litigation will come against you because yeah. of the way that society works now. So the the lack of justice is deeper than just that. And I think it's it is very unjust that we are not expected to protect each other. And instead, we have to wait for somebody who's not on the scene or anywhere right, nearby right, right. to supposedly come in and you know, because the police are are the Batman. They're supposed to be the right. Batman in our world. Right. 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 They're not supposed to be the ever present presence exactly uh, well and, and, yeah and I, I hear you go ahead paul and i want to respond to that because i go ahead yeah well so one is that there was recently a story uh the headline of which is all that i read so i i can't really speak to the details but apparently it was a dude on a bus who saw uh, someone trying to rape someone else and then stopped them and then got arrested Right. Like, yes, that oh, right? very recently that happened, like yeah, a week or two. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, of course, he was black. And like mm -hmm. that, you know, and if he wasn't like reasonable chance that the cops wouldn't have arrested him, you know, right. maybe they would have. I don't know. Um, and, you know, similarly, there was a woman who got grabbed by some some group of Trump supporters. This one guy grabs her and is yelling at her saying, like, go back to your country, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I'm a citizen here and you better let go of my wrist or one of us is going to be injured and it's not going to be me right. um and then he didn't and then she hurt him and then the cops can cuffed her like and and so yeah that you know right to your defend yourself basically i think is it, sort of infringed upon in in a lot of ways right. um and maybe not sort of but uh but then on top of that there was a second thought that I seem to have completely lost the train of. Well, uh, well let, let me let me jump in then because I yeah you talk because I think I I definitely hear where you're where you're both coming from and I I would often oh, say yeah. that when I say like the system as it's supposed to work I realize that like the just political system is kind of like a unicorn like I don't think it has ever existed by any means and I'm I'm talking a little bit about something to work towards not like let's go back to the good old days by any means right but, but I guess. Here's my fear is that for every time you have a story like that of someone who is defending themselves or someone who should, I guess to, to me what I'm saying is under your system, isn't the guy – isn't George Zimmerman just as OK for having killed Trayvon Martin as self-defense or like that guy who um, – um, who, you know, the, however many stories you hear about people who see, you know, kids on their lawn or black kids, you know, playing with toy guns and shoot them. Um, I, I guess to me that I get really yeah, scared no. at that. I, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. to me, I get really scared at that idea of, I, I, in some ways, it's almost it's the Civil War idea of like Captain America, Team Tony. Like any system of accountability is going to be so broken and so horrible. I, I'll absolutely admit that. But 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 isn't there some kind of a need to have some kind of accountability rather than just if you feel like you need to defend yourself, you have that inalienable right to defend yourself? Right. Okay. So we're that is. <laughs> the idea that George Zimmerman did anything but act like a 
a coward and a criminal is uh, is nonsense, right? Oh, completely so, agree with you. Like, I'm not, I'm not no, saying no, I know, he did. I know, I know, yeah. I know. You're, I know you're not. I'm just putting that out there. Totally. Um, because okay, yeah, we're talking about a world that doesn't exist and probably has never. Yep. But um, you know, the idea we also have to talk about like what's really reasonable here, right? Right. Because Trayvon Martin didn't do anything. Yep. Right. So if he had been now, if he had been walking around actually waving a gun around or screaming in the night i'm about to kill people in this neighborhood then yes right you know then and and actually yes i i would say what you're supposed to do is confront that person that's why people are allowed to have guns if so you know you're not basically what if something's going to happen it's going to happen pretty quick right yeah. it's going to happen yeah. before anyone could get there anyway really so you know you should be able to defend yourself but the problem is that you know blackness itself is viewed as a weapon yep pretty much literally Oh, yeah. So and as a threat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. you know, in the, the way that the world is set up now for like way too many reasons to to get into, like it's not just and usually the people that will will act on and and, you know, people that will act on that sort of protection thing uh-huh. are doing it for the wrong reasons. Sure. They well, have been empowered and people who are doing it for the right reasons have been disempowered. And, yeah. And that's that's actually what my other thought was, was that people collectively don't necessarily know who the real threats are who who is how to distinguish you know this person is actually threatening something some some form of violence or to do something um and they just use that idea as an excuse to do violence to that person and they say later oh well you know he he had something in his pocket. Uh, Skittles, whatever. Those could be poisonous Muslim terrorists. Right. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I'm mixing my metaphors. But, but I think we can all agree Skittles bad. Anyway. Oh, yeah. um, or dangerous. Or no, good. Skittles good? I don't know. Yeah. Um, n- not we'll we'll avoid the great sugar yeah. conspiracies. But yeah. Here oh, going. yeah. Well, there's that. Uh, <laughs> but no, and I, I definitely hear that. And I guess and I um, this is a point that could make it, it entire its own show. So let me just make this one last thing and then and hear your response. Then we can move on. Because I think you're I, – I totally hear that. But but my – like I guess to me the reason why there should still be some kind of a system of saying like some authority that is deciding what is or is not OK use of that kind of force is that – I mean obviously it failed dramatically in the case of, of Trayvon Martin and in all of these cases. But that without that, who who is there to decide that – one act of self-defense was okay, but that George Zimmerman wasn't a legitimate act of self-defense. Like, I know it wasn't. You know it wasn't. We all know it wasn't. But but obviously our, our court system doesn't know that. He got to go free. Right. And so so I, we need a better court system. Well, well yeah, but that's what it is. I would say we right. need a better court system, but – and maybe I'm misunderstanding you guys. My, my understanding is that you guys are saying get rid of that entire court system and just let everyone – do what they think no. they need to. No, 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 no. no, no. I'm, I, okay, that, I that's, what, that's what change, I thought you were going yeah, for. Yeah. So I would say change the policing system, yeah, fix yeah. the court system. Right. Yeah. Because there always should be some system of justice that gets to adjudicate things outside of the immediate actors. There always should be. But it should. It has to be just. It's in the name. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. It's, like, and, <laughs> it's and, not the just yeah, ice system. Like Justice is blind is kind of a, 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 a weird way to frame it. It shouldn't be blind. Yeah. It should be impartial. You know, it should not be right. it should be not not only not blind, but extremely far and wide seeing. It should be the most clear seeing instrument that we have to right. discern right. what's actually going on. What's that like idea justice of justice is omniscient, not blind. Yeah, it's the idea of context we talked yeah. about before that you have to know 
the the reason behind an action, not just judge an action. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Then we're a lot we're a lot closer to where I thought we were. Um, so let me go back to V for Vendetta then and ask about what it, what is because uh, uh, Logan, I love the way you described like his use of violence and there being some real value to it. Um, and to me, and, and I'm wondering if, where you guys see it. It's in that my interpretation of the ending of the movie, where he has used violence to kill the people who have like done all these terrible things, but then the most like the act that sort of takes down the government is a completely nonviolent one. You know, is all the people they don't all those people in the V masks don't beat up the soldiers. Right. They march completely nonviolently towards the soldiers. And the soldiers eventually decide not to fire because they have no orders. Um, and so I'm wondering, what, so what's your take on that? Sort of the way it, it juxtaposes that act of nonviolence with the violence of V, and how that that ties together. I think that's perfect. I think that's actually what's you know the leaders are supposed to be catalysts, and you know for me the the goal. I think I said something to this effect earlier. The goal is always love and unity. That's always always the goal, but especially, you know, depending on your villain, depending on your enemy, you can't take peaceful means to achieve that goal at all times, right? right. So the I think that is exactly the way that movie should have ended, right? Mm-hmm. It would have been maybe better if it had been as a, you know, uh, a little better if it had been instead of a lack of orders, like they had just decided, like, we can't shoot all these people, right? right? If those soldiers had refused an order. Exactly, exactly. That would have been, I think, the perfect culmination. But the way that it worked out, I think, was an excellent, excellent way to to cap it off because, you know, it was a wave of peaceful people washing over a militarized response without a single weapon. And that is what we need right now. Yeah. You know, that's definitely what we need right now. And that that militarized response is is I mean, it's a fear. Yep. of people in charge, you know, whether they are fascists or neoliberals or, you know, and I think neoliberals and fascists are not that different when you get right down to it. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, that's a different topic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I have a – I'm not sure whether I think that would have been better or not, but um, I, I think that the way it worked out was that there – you know, you've got you've got basically three possible um, kind of situations of violence, right? right? You can have violent conflict, which is violence versus violence. You can have peace, which is an absence of violence, or you can have oppression, which is nonviolence on one side due to threat of violence on the other, right. or actual mm-hmm. violence on the other, right? And so, what we start with in V is oppression, yeah. where there's a violent government that is threatening violence to anybody who is not already doing violence to. And so the people are nonviolent because they're afraid of losing a conflict. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Then V's like, no, no, we're going to do violence. We're going to do violence versus violence. And so using his violence, he destroys some of their symbols, right, right. As a way of motivating the people to take, you know, their own nonviolent action, but he also destroys the people who are directly directing the violence of, of the government. Right. And so then at the end, now you have peace because he's taken, he's basically chopped the, the heads off the, the Hydra or the dragon or whatever. And so now, or the snake, I don't know, whatever. It's he not Hydra, a different, different model. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's a bunch of them. So, you know, anyway, maybe the Etten. 
Um, well, but, but and, and I think a key point there is that it, it it's that he's, he's removed the fear, like the, right, that, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and and he's removed the he's removed the fear not just from the people but also from the soldiers who are like just following orders or whatever. Right, which mm-hmm. you know, it, it, like yeah, at some point, like they don't all necessarily think like yeah, this is a good thing we're doing. There, m- many of them are probably thinking. Well, you know, this is my job and I maybe don't agree with it, but I'm not supposed to question orders. But then when they stop getting orders to be oppressive, you know, they're like, well, okay, you know, nobody's pushing down on me to push down on these people. And these people clearly have a a plan and there's tons of them. So, like, all right, have at it. And I would actually even say – and this is never really explored much, but I think it's a little implied – I would actually say even something a little bit more in praise of those soldiers because I think to know that you are the support of an oppressive system and now to see the people who have for all this time been afraid of you marching at you without fear is right. a little bit terrifying. And sure, I, sure. I think one thing that's oh, un- yeah. important is yeah. that – and I think this is absolutely part of what we're seeing with police in America right now. Part of what is happening is is people who are used to having this domineering power don't have as much of that power anymore, and they're afraid, and they're lashing out in that fear, and that's mm-hmm. some of the most horrible things we're seeing. And I think yeah. that that's one more – like to me, the fa- I never thought about it until this moment, but the fact that those police don't show fear, that they're able to just like let the, the people wash over them and let it happen is one more kind of awesome sign of that. Right, that they just that's stand true. down. They right, don't right. – you know. yeah. Or they don't just freak out yeah. and do it anyway. Yeah, that's yeah. true. When so it, it's sort of like the, go ahead. Oh, I just want to say it's sort of like the opposite of that that photo of that woman in the dress in um, where was it? I I oh. feel like it was south somewhere in the south Baton Rouge maybe. There was there were protests and there's yeah. this woman just standing there. Such and a beautiful picture. Yeah, it is. And there's these. There's this line of heavily armed and armored cops, and then these two cops like running up to her, like, 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 what are they ru- like? Like they they look so afraid, you know? Oh yeah. And like she's just like, here I am, you know. Um, and that's sort of, I mean, I I don't know. I wish all those cops were a little bit more like the ones in V for Vendetta, but I mean, they do get educated on fear. I mean, to to be yeah. honest, I, yeah, I just had a situation right. the other day where I, um. You know, I was I walked I was walking by. I'll give the short version of the story. I was walking down the street on my way to another dog, and I saw a woman lying in the street uh, with a dog. Uh, she had been hit by a car, like clearly pretty oh, badly, because yeah. one of her shoes was off. Uh, and uh, she had a dog, pretty large pit bull type dog, in a muzzle who was you know guarding her. And there were there were like seven cops and three uh, you know FDNY emergency services personnel, but no one was going anywhere near them. And I walked up to one of the policemen and I was like, hey, I'm I'm I work with dogs every day. Like, this is what I do for a living. Like, let me just go get the dog. And they were like, no, you can't. And the reason they said no, I get why they said no, because, you know, obviously the rules say you can't let citizens get in the way and they're afraid of this dog doing something. But it's all about them being afraid of things. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. all about them. They're afraid of being, you know, sued. They're afraid yeah. of the dog doing something to them. They're afraid of what I'm going to do if something happens to me, right? But and that's all just fear, rather than being like, okay, let's let's just let's just help this woman, right? So she laid there much longer than she should have or needed to because of their fear, right? Yep. So I think for for me, I have a lot of, um, I mean, though I have extreme disdain for the idea of the for modern policing and for 
you know, when people say FTP, like I get it, right? But each individual officer, I'm like, whatever happened in your life, it's led you to think that this was the best shot you have at a life, right? Right, right? And unfortunately, the way things are now, that's all about you being afraid of stuff. And you're a person who's afraid who's wearing essentially a superhero costume. You got you got great <laughs> boots, you got thick clothing, you got a, a belt with all kinds of tools and utilities and weapons. And weapons, and still, yeah. You're afraid yeah. of other people. And that's not only nonsense, but it's it's not only potentially deadly, but literally deadly, right? That yeah. fear, we have to remove the fear from police as well. We have to oh, remove yeah. the police's fear of the people and vice versa because we're all the people. I, I mean it's only lightly explored, but I think – and I, I've commented this before. One of my favorite stories, like a, a story arc that's played out in a lot of the Marvel movies is Tony Stark's fear and how like Tony Stark's – Basically PTSD for all intents and purposes. I mean I don't think they've ever officially diagnosed him, but it, it certainly seems like that. His fear, you know, leads to Ultron and then leads to his actions in, in Civil War, you know. And I think that he's kind of a, a hyper version, but Logan, of exactly what you're talking about, of how much yeah. the, the combination of fear and power and, and, and how linked they are. Like if, if part of why you've I, always believed you don't have to be afraid is like I have this power so I don't have to be afraid. And now – your people are starting to question if your power can actually do things like your your first thing you want to do is to show your power is to show that you have this gun right. and it can still have things and that's just so disastrous yep see also There's... election of trump see also brexit yep <laughs> yep and yeah. and see yeah see see all of these things um, there's see... there's a quote from um from v that i think is relevant in a odd way um that's right in the beginning. Uh, people shouldn't be afraid of their government. Governments should be afraid of their people. Definitely. Which, but I mean, I definitely believe people shouldn't be afraid of their government. And I do think governments should be accountable to their people. Yeah. But, that's a good way of putting it. You know, but, yeah. but um, officers of the government being literally afraid of the people is actually a very big problem for the people. Oh, yes. yes. Because yes, uh, when a heavily armed person is afraid, they do stupid things. I, I mean, there's yep. been all this talk recently about the Electoral College um, created by – I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the, the Alexander Hamilton musical and I love a lot of it. But let's – you know, he did create the Electoral College among other things. And, and if you read his writings about why the Electoral College was put into place, it was because they were so afraid of, you know, populist right. mm -hmm. movements. And given what a populist movement just did using the Electoral College, you understand yeah. that fear. But, yep. you know. So yeah. it, it, but it was also created to like protect the rights of the southern states that were less populous so yeah. that they could maintain slavery. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like that's also a thing. And to prevent like the poor, you know, the, let the educated folk have the vote only. Right. Um right. And, and let's use that actually to jump into what I think is one of the most controversial parts of V for Vendetta. Um that's kind of one of our last things, you know, we need to wrap up pretty soon. But is um you know, what V does is he helps people overcome fear in, in a lot mm -hmm. of great ways. And one of the major plot yeah. things is that he uses both mental and I would say physical violence against Evie in a way to break her of her fear um, mm -hmm. yeah. and does some pretty horrible things to her in the process. But as a result of which, at least according to the movie, she says that like it broke her of her fear. Mm -hmm. How do we feel about what he does to Evie specifically? I, like – and I think it's okay because it worked, but if it didn't work, it would be horrifying. I mean, obviously, if someone was like, oh, I'm going to do this, I'd be like, don't do that. Right. You and, know? And just for anyone who hasn't seen the movie or doesn't remember it, um, my, my quick version of it, and, and tell me if you want to add anything, but is that he basically 
he without her knowing it's happening he makes her think that she has been arrested by the police and that they are doing the full mind torture um like slash like concentration camp kind of thing except in in solitary right and he basically makes her relive something very similar to what he went through himself and yeah. and his mm-hmm. his logic is that it broke him of his fear and so it will break her of her fear yeah it's one of those things that you could never sign off on um it, it, and it's one of those things where it's like yeah, I'm I'm torn on it, you know, because obviously who can condone psychological torture? But then again, to create a hero, like you you need a traumatic experience. Yeah. Right. Um, so he does do that and he does it effectively. So it's one of those things where it's like, uh yeah, I could never say that was the right choice, but it did do the exactly the thing that he said it was gonna do and that he thought it would do. So Oh, man, I mean, I, that's, it's just a, it's just a conflicted and extremely conflicted uh, action by a very conflicting person. Yeah, I think I'm I'm Paul. I think I'm kind of a little on the opposite of where you are, Paul. That I'm I'm, I'm just yeah. as conflicted. I think I'm a little more on the it, it, he just, he shouldn't have done it because to me it's still such a it, it is one person deciding that torturing someone else is justified for ends that he thinks both people agree with. And like, right. even though in this case I agree with the ends and they do work, mm-hmm. that just whole idea is so horrific to me. Um, yeah. But but it's, I do. But you are both right. I, and and I, I guess that's the sort of thing is like within the paradigm of the movie, it seems like the right thing to do. It's it's probably the one place where I most have a problem with the paradigm of the movie because to me, like it, it just still seems like such a ho- the fact that it's so uh, completely non consensual and it's yeah. you know. And it's but done with it, almost this, me, this error. The fact that there's sort of a, a hint of romance between the two of them, I think, also right, right. really bothers me. On, yeah, I mean, more than a hint, even. Yeah, no, actually, you're right. A- absolutely. I think that that well, adds a level to it that makes it that yeah. much worse. One one thing that I would just throw out there is that living in that world is constant psychological torture. Yep. And That's there's awesome. basically no such thing as consent in a world like that. Yeah. To mm. an extent, you know, I mean, like. Every people's lives are are no longer consensual. You know right. they're they're yeah. just doing like she goes to um, the Stephen Fry character's house because like that's what she's told to do basically. Right. You know, and that's just um, you know that's that's how the that that world is so so messed up that mm-hmm. that doesn't I would say that doesn't excuse like any. Um, like, I mean, it's a horrible thing to do to a person, right? you know, but like, like kind of paternalistic as well. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, More than kind of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, totally, totally. And, and, but like, let's, let's just look at what his other options are. Basically one, let her just get picked up by the government and tortured and killed by them. Right. Right. Um, pick her up himself and then bring her to his place where, the last time he saw her, she ran away from him, right? Right. And tried to to get the other guy to to like catch him, right? Um, or this or some other un, unthought of thing. So it's it's not like well, it's fine, but it's like I I I do think it's one of those he's trying to find the the least worst option kind of which mm-hmm. yeah you know and there are only bad options basically right. 
Right, and there might have been uh, an option that that was also bad and not as bad. Right. Um, but like just being like, okay, you're free to go now. Like that. That's that would be horrible. Yeah, also. that would be. Yeah, that would terrible. be worse. I would. I would. Much argue. worse. Much worse. Um, and but it would feel. It would be like, well, that's just neutral. Right. You're just letting whatever happen, and that's that's one of the things that's so frustrating about like media coverage and a lot of like so many things in our real world is like people taking neutrality for like neutrality yeah there is no such thing as neutrality in a a world with this much oppression there's just no such thing or yeah neutrality is always the support of the status quo and if the status quo is oppressive exactly yeah well and and i i definitely hear that and i i think there's a lot of truth there and i and maybe this is some headcanon on my part but i think the way i've always seen the movie is especially because of how kind of heartbroken he is when she leaves after all that is that to some extent that is part of why he feels like he has to die. Because I, my interpretation Definitely. of it at least is yeah. him kind of recognizing that his feeling like this is what he needed to do to her is a, is a sign of kind of that – like he is just as broken as the world he is trying to, to end. Mm-hmm. And so in some extent like he has to use that brokenness to help bring about the new world but that he can't be part of that new world, you know? I think that's a very good way to put it because there would not be any happily ever after with someone who is that psychological, psychological, psychologically damaged as V is. So it actually does kind of make sense. What you just said, I think, is right. kind of wraps it up for me. And, um, and I, 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 look, and I absolutely know you didn't mean this, and so I, I, I'm not. But I, I wanted to make sure we're not. Because I, I think I said this too. We're not by any means saying like a happy world can't involve very psychologically damaged people by any means. It's, of course it, not. Right, yeah. right, right, right. But it's just about that's the, uh, just him in particular. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, but it's also his, it's that I, think, I mean his skill set is no longer going to be quite useful. Yeah, no, I think what he's saying is that he wants a world where no one will ever do to someone like Evie what he did to her. Absolutely. Is that a better way of saying Absolutely. it? Yeah. Definitely. And I mean, you know, the, the, I guess the Hollywood thing would have been, you know, if he had, if she had forgiven him and then they'd gone and lived happily ever after, like that would make her some sort of weird Stockholm syndrome, like right. her you know, love could rescue him apologist. and make him better. That right. would have been a really weird ending, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, like, but it wouldn't be, I mean, in some way, like it, I was it shocked be as far by as that like ending Hollywood's because oh, yeah. really? I, I yeah. expected that to be exactly oh. the ending. So I think Logan's right. That's the Hollywood ending. No, this was the yeah. Jesus-y ending. Okay, so here's the thing. Speaking of <laughs> dystopia, um, dystopian, you know, uh, movies by the Wachowskis, right? Um, I, ha- I have a Matrix Revolutions um, oh, dear. Ugh, sort of. I know, right? Um, <laughs> but so the, the the whole so spoiler alert for the worst Matrix movie. Um, the the whole Neo thing, the one thing apparently like. There's this like cycle or whatever where the the one is like created as this like um, sort of complement to uh-huh. everything else in the matrix, right? And then they get reintroduced into it, and then it starts a new cycle. Yep. Right. So in a way, I think V. I mean, is clearly the one, right? Oh, the five. I don't know, um, but <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. In in V for Vendetta, where he basically is taking himself and like reintroducing himself to all the stuff that happened at that Lark Hill facility. He's killing 
Timothy, who was there, and he's destroying the government that was built on that terror. Yep. But then he's also destroying himself with that. And so he's kind of removing all of that. Like, he's the part that um, cancels that out, almost like um, – if I remembered my organic chemistry a little better, this would, you know, <laughs> but like if you've got just some oxygen bubbles floating around in a bunch of water, it's like he's the hydrogen that then forms with that, that oxygen. And then all of a sudden you just have water and it's like, it kind of, um, like brings it basically brings back around a, to a, a circle, right? Where it's like where they were before is kind of where they are again at the end. And it's obviously it's a new place, but like, Everything that had happened kind of – he kind of undid it by – in the process, though, he, like, has to go the same right. way, like, Nico has to go, mm. you know? Yeah. No, I like that. Right. He, it, he has to change drastically. Yeah. I mean, right. Basically by dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, in a way, it connects to something I, I'd, I'd – um, Logan, you were talking before about um, how really important to the civil rights movement was that it was led by black people. And I think that's been true of a lot of the – you know, any oppressed movement, I think one of the central truths is it has to be led by the people who are oppressed. Because if nothing else, mm-hmm. like if people in power give power to the people who don't have power, then what that's you're still keeping the system of the oppressed people only have power because the others gave it to them. You know, that, that it has yes. it, a white led civil rights movement is still about white people deciding what is best for black people, a straight led LGBT movement is still, you know, that, that replicates itself in any movement. Um, That's although, true. I mean, so, if you uh, can... I do think that on the, on the ground, uh, this is about white people going in, like, you got to go get your folks right now. You know oh, what I mean? Sure. Like, I, mean the, I mean, it's different between, like, to me, white people don't, shouldn't be the leaders, but they absolutely need to be the troops. You know, you need to do the, like, yes, not leading definitely. doesn't mean, but it means letting, you know, to me, like, I, I, I'm I'm a disabled person. I'm going to be the one talking a lot about how, you know, what Trump's going to do can really hurt disabled folks. But I sure as hell like when I hear an able-bodied friend of mine like call out someone else for using the word lame, like to me that's awesome, you know. Yes. Like it yeah. with any of these movements, uh, the I I think that there people can often say, "Oh, well, they say that black people should lead that movement, so why as a white person don't have to get involved?" No, bullshit. That's not what it means at right. all. It just means right. you don't get to decide what the movement should be doing. That yeah, goes back to uh, the idea that people oh. need to be better at, at protecting each other. Right. Yeah, and and I, I just want to kind of – like I think that's the way things are most likely to happen and actually uh-huh. work. But I, I just totally disagree that that's a necessary um, way for things to go. Um, and I mean maybe the, the history that I would cite – actually proves me wrong but i i do think if there's a way for people in power we we can call right now white people whatever um to irrevocably relinquish that um disproportionality of, of power i don't think that that somehow means that then like honestly i actually think that that would be the ideal um solution i think it's maybe the least likely solution but i think if you have the people in power actually voluntarily deliberately relinquishing that power and saying hey we should all have this power we should all have an equal voice and you know when you have billionaires 
giving away the vast majority of their their fortunes, I think that actually is better in the long run than when you if you were to just take that from them. Oh, to be sure, but um, I, but I think maybe yeah, the, I don't yeah. think we could just yeah, sit back true. and hope that happens. And so so my my um historical you know precedent sort of would be like the Civil War, you right. know, where like that was. I mean, I, I'm not a huge Civil War buff, but, you know, my understanding is that there were uprisings led by, like, like John Brown, like, uh-huh. you know, freed a bunch of slaves, killed a bunch of people, got hung. Um, and that eventually led to a war between the North and the South, where it certainly wasn't all white people in the North who won that war. But, like, that, I mean, you know, Lincoln was kind of important to that whole right. thing, you know, well, and... But here, here's where I would respond, and I, 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 yeah. I know you got to go somewhat soon. Um, yeah, I do. But it's like because I, I use a counterexample, but just on that. First of all, I will admit, given the current situation, I'm kind of big on the idea of secession. Because um, if you know, <laughs> the, the California wants to declare itself a free state, I'm moving, and I don't want Trump to be Lincoln. Um, I am moving there. <laughs> but, 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 but more to the point, like, want... there's actually a lot of great analysis that says that, like, one of the like. Yes, there was a great movement of white people wanting to end slavery, but that part of why the situation for blacks in the South and in the North continued to be so horrible after the Civil War is because it was white people having their ideas of what was best for the black slaves. Right, right. Um, exactly. And like exactly. To, to me, like a better example for today. Yeah, that's sort of what I meant about like history of my own right. example might just what I'm saying, well, I know, I although say, I don't think it does, but I think it, it does – speak to well and i would say i I think you have a point and here's the way i would i would clarify it a bit clarify my 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 take on this a bit um and then logan let me know your thoughts and then let's let's wrap up but is um to take paul you were saying like you know if if all white people just decided to to give a power billionaires decided to give money to me if a billionaire were to say look i really want to help poor people awesome if the billionaire says, I want to give up all of my, my money to poor people to make their lives better, awesome. If the billionaire then says, here's my idea of what I think will be best for poor people, so I'm going to use all my money to do that, to me that's not as good as if the billionaire like tries to find a way to, to, to get an idea from the poor people themselves, how can he best use the money to help them? You know, exactly. And that's to me when I talk about the leadership is that like – the people who are oppressed have to have the primary voice in what is going to actually be what an end of oppression for them looks like. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the things that I was thinking about while you guys were talking about that. Like there were many initial – I mean you know, slavery didn't just end because white people decided, yeah, we should let those people – there's yeah. just way too much behind. And obviously the slaves themselves were in many ways great and small in a constant state of like – near revolt right yeah yeah so I mean, um, haiti is a country so, that exists because of a slave revolt yes and and haiti actually is a great example because what happened in haiti is they got their freedom and then they were punished for it right they were not allowed to do self-determination because self-determination means they would have been trading with other but people were like no well you know what you can be free but we're not going to trade with you and we're going to leave you as poor as you ever were and the same thing happened with black people in this country okay we're going to give you finger quotes freedom right but we're, every time you build something you got your black wall street in oklahoma destroyed you have the zoot suit riots you have every time 
when the Harlem Black, Renaissance, look at Harlem in the 1920s compared to Harlem today. Yeah, you'll get all these things where it's like, you know, people also just want to be left alone to be free. Yeah. Right. We just want they just want a chance to live for themselves and determine for themselves. You know, it's like keep your money, billionaire. Just leave us the fuck alone. Yeah. Right. And don't let your, you protect us from your people. So it's not for for me. Those examples are not examples of white people taking the lead. Those are they're actually following the lead of people calling for their own freedom. Right. And the way that you would help, the way that you would be a soldier in that army is you would make sure that your money was going to the right places and to the right causes. Like you said, Matt, you know, let let the imp- oppressed people decide where things go from here and then leave them alone yeah. in perpetuity and protect them in perpetuity from other people who would roll back those things. Totally, totally. I think that's a great point to kind of um, wrap up on. Um, do you think you guys want to have any last things to add before we start start our goodbyes? No, I think that does it for me. <laughs> so this was a this was an episode about lethal versus non-lethal violence, or <laughs> <laughs> lethal versus non-lethal violence, things, dystopias. We, we kind of bounced around on a couple things. Yeah, yeah. I don't no, think no, uh, the three of us ever will have a conversation that's stuck to one topic, but that's a good <laughs> no, thing. No, that would. I mean, why would we? You know, it's the fun of podcasting. Well, I want to thank you guys both for being a part of this. Um, this was awesome, and and uh, Logan, thank you so much for being a guest. I really hope you're going to be able to be again. Um, My pleasure. Uh, Logan, t- tell us, uh, tell our audience a little bit more about, uh, I know you're doing writing on a lot of great topics, um, what you're doing and how people can find more of your work. Uh, primarily, my number one thing is my, my business, Urban Dog Care NYC, um, which is you can find our website at urbandogcarenyc.com. Um, and we're also on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. We have a pretty active um you know, pretty active in the social media world. And that's where I spend most of my time talking about dogs and their relationship to humans and how we need to update the the human-dog relationship and take out a lot of the dominance and aggression model that has been in there and actually understand that dogs can teach us a lot about peace and living together well. And we need to uh, restructure those things. Everything about dogs ties in a lot with my thoughts about, about humans and humanity. Um, I also recently published a book called Putting Paws to Pavement, which you can find at um, at my website. Um, and uh, if you, you know, look on Facebook, there's links and there's excerpts as well. Um, you can also find Harlequin's song currently um, on facebook.com slash Harlequin's song. Uh, and there's links there where you can actually buy your own copy. Um, and the same for Putting Paws to Pavement. You can um, find links to that on my website or on Facebook as well. And I hope you'll do so. Awesome. Yeah, please do, folks. Those are two great books. Um as Logan says, a lot of you know, you take a, a book about dog walking and a book about um, a dystopian comic book. Uh, you, you, c- c- pulling the two together seems amazing, but I, in both, Logan I think does a great job of just going really deep in some of the philosophical questions and all this. And, and um, personally, I know I I love the stuff you write about um, the, the social relationships of dogs and how we humans can learn so much about that. So that awesome, awesome stuff. Um, Thank you, Paul. Any closing stuff from you? Yes, they're good books. Buy them. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, what about your own stuff? Eh, uh, Zen Madman, you know, find it, whatever. Cool, cool. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> Sounds good. And again, everybody, I'm Matthew West. I'm, I'm in that, though, so, you know. Yeah, hey. no, pa- Paul is one yeah. of the stars of Harlequin yeah. Song, so. 
yeah. um, a martial or artist. Or supporting supporting yeah. actor, but you know, yeah. It's the first time yeah. I saw I you wearing white. Of the stars. So that was kind of okay. happy for okay. me. Okay, co-stars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, right. yeah, and again, I'm Matthew Westvox, um, the sort of host and founder of Superhero Ethics. Um, you can check us out at SuperheroEthics.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter or on Facebook at Superhero Ethics. Um, obviously, we've dived into some really deep issues. And as you can tell, um, me, Paul, and Logan are all kind of wordy people. We like talking about this stuff. So <laughs> if you disagree, if you agree, if you have some other thoughts about um, dysutopian stuff and how it ties in or lethal and non-lethal violence and what's going on there or dog walking and great examples of dogs in comic books or pretty much anything at all, um, text us uh, or Tweet at us, Facebook at us, uh, leave comments on iTunes. We would love to hear from you. Check out some of our other podcasts by searching for Superhero Ethics on the Superhero Ethics podcast on iTunes, or you can follow us on um, uh, our website where the RSS feed is found. So thank you guys again. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you more soon.